twin, the first one in. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to Right On Radio. Just going to get started here. Chris should be joining us in a couple minutes. And believe it or not, I'm doing something that I am not good at, and I am multitasking as we speak because I just got to, oh, here's Chris, and Chris, just give me a minute. Uh, so I'm just loading the material into right on you right now. If you do want to follow along, I should have done it about a half an hour ago, but I decided to pile down a little bit of lunch real quick before we get going. Uh, welcome, everyone. Hope you're enjoying these shows. This one should be explosive. I've been looking through the material, and, uh, wow, Chris has really done an excellent job. This is, uh, we're not going to get through it all uh, in one uh, sitting, that is for sure, although we're giving some extra time for it today. Uh, we can go up to, however, uh, this is uh, very deep, very complex material, and if you have not joined rightonyou.com and supporting the military analyst, I suggest you do, uh, because the maps that we put in for this stuff are very extensive, and uh, there's a lot of things to follow along with, but of course you get all the information here. Uh, as well, and you can follow along, and you can make your decision because there's a lot of uh, evidence behind it. Uh, now, I give the same introduction all the time. Chris Wilson is not his real name. We call him the military analyst. Uh, we have to keep his identity protected because of some of the stuff he has is so explosive, they would certainly take him out. Uh, they do not want this information out, and we do need to protect him. And... Uh, Man, he's just got such a wealth of information. He's an encyclopedia, and we are glad to welcome here to Right on Radio. So, uh, Chris, good day to you. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I have some very uh, important and intriguing information about our history and the truth of life itself. This one today is known as the Tartarian Empire. And I have five essays. We can cover approximately three of these uh, within an hour and a half. But uh, we'll start with number one. And this is the Tartarian Empire. The Ark of the Covenant was used to conquer the world. This was done by a man named Bennett Lee Ross. I always give credit to every author that I've found over the years. And it shows a picture when the audience can see what you've uploaded of what the uh, flag was and the icon for the Tartarian Empire. And it's on all their ancient maps. So it had worldwide influence and once covered all of North America, South America, Australia, New Zealand, most of Russia, China, Europe, Japan, India, and Korea. They were the largest empire known besides the Atlantean War, which we will go into at a later date. For the most part, the citizens of this country were led by their own guidance of natural law honoring truth and integrity. They enjoyed a high standard of living and dwelt in harmony with nature. They built amazing edifices all over the world, even in our country. The wondrous uh, cathedrals of Europe and the enormous aqueducts in southern Europe and in Mexico, the Grand Canal in China, and the Erie Canal in America. 
the fabulous outdoor stone gates, pavilions, arenas, and other architecture surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. The magnificent temples in St. Petersburg, Russia. They lived in luxuriant, luxuriant villas. They made stone temples, the ziggurats, star fortresses, and earthen mounds, all of which utilized etheric natural energy. We will discuss that in the subcoming, uh, subsequent uh, sessions. This is very important that the public understands there was in prior uh, ages as well as uh, uh, civilizations and dynasties, they had etheric energy, and I will go over that. It's not the energy we use today. Ours is strictly based on uh, a debt-based economy and uses a very dangerous type of uh, AC and DC and directly uh, – Specifically, uh, direct current is absolutely lethal. That's what your your uh, high high wire uh, powers are running. Okay, they uh, created exquisite statues, carved golden artifacts, and jewelry. They built the Great Wall, what is now China. Marco Polo wrote an extensive and detailed account of Asia in the 13th and 14th centuries, and did not even mention a wall in any of his writings. The Great Wall is not seen on any maps predating the late 1600s. So most of its construction occurred in early 1700s, and it was built to keep the encroaching Chinese out of Tartaria. The opening on the wall on the north side uh, toward the former Tartaria is, <clears throat> it is not on the south side facing wall. This It should be called the Great Wall of Tartaria. The further back in time you go, the more advanced the technology becomes. There are many pyramids of different kinds throughout the world. Extensive underground tunnel systems. The earlier the monolithic stone, the larger it is and the more precision it was hewn with, meaning carved. The earlier the structure, the more incapable we are of re replicating it. Mortar was never used to adjoin any of them. In past ages, the world was more diverse. Skeletons of giants are found on all continents today, and the remains of beings with elongated skulls. There are graveyards of little people and horn-like human entities that have been unearthed, especially in our country. Now, it is as if these beings have never existed. Like the Tartarians, they are never mentioned. Now it is uh, like the Tartarians. We live in a virtual reality where true history is ignored and covered up. A total false narrative is taught. Fantasies have replaced truth, and everything is pushed far back to the remote past. Older advanced structures are credited to local people who came later who have no idea of how to build them. Deception has been utilized to push back a thousand years and create an artificial dark ages. In the Middle Ages, the letter I and J before the numbers designated Jesus, not the numbers. So, for example, I-346 is actually 346 years after the time of Jesus. It is not 1,346 years. Way back in the Old Testament, at the time immediately following the Exodus, it states that Israelis used the Ark of the Covenant as a weapon of war against the Amorites, the Midianites, which is M-I-D-I-A-N-I-T-E-S, and the Philistines. 
So the use of energy weapons has been going on for a minimum thousand years in our lifetimes. It was perfected to the point where it was able to annihilate many millions of Tartarians. The energy weapon melted cities and destroyed the civilizations of Egypt, Greece, and Rome, which were approximately of the same time period as Jesus, and were heavily influenced by Tartaria. Not only are these civilizations pushed way back into remote history, the extent of their empires have been fabricated. Destroying the pyramid complex was their first objective of the Israelites. Pumapunka, which is P-U-M-A-P-U-N-K-U, which is part of the Tiahuanacu, and that's T-I-A-H-U-A-N-A-C-U complex in Bolivia, had interlocking megaliths of andesite and diorite. That's A-N-D-E-S-I-T-E, and diorite is D-I-O-R-I-T-E. These are types of granite only surpassed in hardness by diamonds, but they were somehow carved with laser-like flatness and symmetry. Now they are broken, shattered, and blown to bits. Tiwanaku and Pumapunku is said to have been built by simple low-grading, local migrating tribes. This idea has been used all over the world to dismiss and cover up the ancient advanced cultures. Energy weapons from the Ark of the Covenant is what brought down the walls of Jericho in the past. The Ark was an electrical capacitator composed of silver and brass alloys and gilded with gold. Its true purpose was to store and direct energy from internally from the earth to outside sources. But transporting it around was very dangerous. It caused people to become very ill and die. It had a constant emulating radiation surrounding the enclosure, but it also sent out intermittent electrical surges where many of the people were killed instantly. The ones who carried it had to wear protective clothing. The electrical capacity of such an apparatus would be over 50,000 volts. Opposing armies would be defenseless against such a weapon. The volume or cubic capacity of the empty coffer in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is known as Khufu or Cheops, uh, is exactly the same volume as the Ark of the Covenant. According to Egyptian tradition, the Israelites plundered Egypt during the upheaval at the time of the Exodus. They took the Ark out of the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid of Giza at this time. The tribe of Israel also used religion as a means to infiltrate the ruling affairs and dynasties of foreign countries. A religious leader holds great power. He is able to influence many simple minds who believe the leader's edicts are from, quote, God. The Druids, who held such positive power in the Irish and British Isles, were also Jewish. So we are, we were and we are the Jesuits. Uh, so were they. So have all the popes and the Mormons uh, also have been Jewish. The reason why Jewish people look down upon Christians is because they know they invented the Christian religion. Jewish beliefs are just a rendition of the former appearances and interactions of planetary gods. Books written in Tartary language were rewritten and sold as Jewish history. Much of the content was fabricated and interfused with traditional local beliefs. This is how they sold their religion. They used the monks to write what the, quote, Zionist portion, not the devout, Jews wanted, convincing them to think they were merely inspiring God's work. The burning of old books and the rewriting of them in order to alter history is the real reformation of Europe. The Library of Alexander in Egypt was perfectly destroyed to limit knowledge. That was by the Romans in approximately 440 A.D.
It was not the Muslims. Um, so, the Library of Alexander was deliberately destroyed to limit knowledge. Making negotiations with kings was a method whereby they were able to gain control of a country's financial system. Once one controls the money supply and its allotments, then they control the country, same as we are today and the world. In this way, righteous kings were replaced by insurgent kings who defrauded the people to take part in unjust wars. Just fake an event, such as a murder, blame it on another country, add some patriotic and religious slogans, verbally demoralize the other country, and you've created a war. That is typical of the Clintons with Hillary and uh, Bill, as well as the Bush family. So, um, in the Middle Ages, the spraying of viruses not only eliminated entire villages, it caused the Black Plague, which killed off over 70 million people in Europe. Disease was a favorite weapon also used against the Tartarian Kingdom. In 1346, um, the siege of Akafa, K-A-F-F-A, in Ukraine, uh, the Tartarians suffered a plague epidemic, and it was brought on by the catapulting of viruses into the city. The viruses also catapulted, Jeff, when you dump dead bodies uh, over the walls, and it gets it's both uh, air and uh, physical contact for uh, uh, yeah, being uh, in infected. And stuff is atrocious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, decaying bodies okay. is, is not good. The 1490s saw the first sign of collapse of the Tartary Empire. In 66, 1666, the city of London was intentionally burned. Jeff, look at that date. You have three sixes in a row. That should tell you. This is the Masonic order. Okay. Tartaria was severely weakened in 1775, but it remained until the early 1800s. When Napoleon attacked Russia, Moscow was hit by an energy weapon. So was Washington, D.C. in the War of 1812. These wars were actually wars against the Tartarians. The first two world wars was to eradicate the remaining Tartarian influences. Genghis Khan was said to be a Mongol. Mongol, or Mogul, whichever you want to pronounce, is just a made-up name that is associated with Mongolia. Genghis Khan fought to restore the kingdom of Tartary, and that's T-A-R-T-R-Y, and reclaim their land. His mountain warriors were called Tartars. Now Tartary is associated with hell. Many people, and uh, rather buildings in America, demolished or still standing, said to be built by early pioneers or native people in America, were in fact built by the Tartars. Disease was also used against the native people in the Americas. It is estimated that 95% of them perished from disease, mostly smallpox. The Aztecs looked upon the Spaniards as a returning of their light-colored god. Their beliefs uh, hearkened back to the events in the ancient days when light-colored gods who came across the oceans from the east, and that was another essay I wrote, uh, the Icelandic uh, uh, people came in 998 AD to Mexico, and that's uh, the at the time the Aztecs their uh, calendar was uh, basically 52 years, and so they came, Hernando Cortez came uh, uh, came to kill them in uh, 1519, and that was exactly 500 years later by their calendar. And they thought Cortez was the 
uh, Icelandic uh, Vikings who came and traded and visited in 998 AD. They traveled four times. I found this from an um, an Icelandic scholar who wrote an exceptional article, and I have it in two parts, and it's worth uh, sharing with your audience, but not today. Uh, the old world order, <coughs> excuse me, the old world order was replaced by the new world order. And the Gregorian calendar was instituted on October 2nd, 1582 AD to force the common people to accept a new false chronology. People, peace and freedom has been replaced and was being replaced by being fenced up in the strict borders. The suppression of Tartari coincides with the new teachings of quote evolution. We just think we are evolving. We have become disconnected with the nature and disconnected with reality. Uh, it was always like, it was not always like that. The farther back in time one regresses, the more connected and at peace our civilization was with ourselves, with the animals, and with the land we live on. That's the end of part one. Now I'm going to go into another article and I'm going to do part one of the Tartarians. This is the mystery of an empire lost in history. Conspiracy theorists have been researching about, oh, this was uh, uh, related by, his name is Nagato Dharma, N-A-G-A-T-O, last name is D-H-A-R-M-A. I suspect he's from uh, India or Pakistan. Okay, conspiracy theorists have been researching about this online and have come up with some wild ideas. This is a look into the actual facts and the information that is available about the medieval country. And it shows a map of the Tartaria and the, and the Tartaric Ocean. And that was done by Frederick de Witt, which is Dutch, uh, artist. The Chinese have a proverb. The longer, the longest journey starts with but just a single step. There's a story circulating on the internet regarding a lost country in the chronicles of history. A country that once seemed to be a world known is now forgotten, buried in the sands of time. Tartaria or Tartary or Grand Tartaria has been troubling online researchers as they dig into old maps dating back as far as the 15th century. I have 30 ancient maps that you will never find, Jeff. I'm having difficulty sending them because I'm being blocked by nefarious forces, but I broke them into uh, groups of uh, 10 apiece. Eventually, I will get them. You have one of them. You have part four, which has got 10 maps, ancient maps on it. Post that one as well. Uh, I, so I posted um, them all, Chris, just so you know, because uh, you kind of you said, let's uh, let's just get it up there. So I did. Uh, however, I, I, I can provide a way for you to transfer those other maps to me as well. Uh, it would have to be outside of email. That's fine. You contact me offline. Yep, absolutely. And we'll do that. Absolutely. These are maps the the... No one is going to find these go back. All maps have been uh, altered and falsified since right at 1600 to 1900. Every one of them. And these maps show the real world and continents that existed. Uh, and we'll go on to another one on that. There was one parallel to California and that one disappeared. But they're on the maps and the maps are absolutely accurate. OK, onward. What intrigued the Internet was a declassified document by the CIA that represents the Central Intelligence Agency, which mentions the deletion of this country's history, which seemed to have been located in the land of modern Russia slash Siberia and Asia. According to the old maps, 
At times, it reached the borders of China and Mongolia. Little is known about the people inhabiting the land, and at the time, and due to the lack of information, uh, people are still speculating if it was an area or an actual country. The fact is it was. It's just been eliminated by evil governments, including ours especially. Europeans, um, during the 19th century and earlier, seem to have called Asian areas Tartary, T-A-R-T-R-Y, before they explored them and recorded them in greater detail. Now, according to the old world maps, at times it reaches the border of China and Mongolia. And what the next section is what Tartaria's history uh, was deleted. This is an excerpt from the declassified CIA document created in 1957. Or let us take a, uh, the matter of history which, along with religion, language, and literature, constitutes the core of people's cultural heritage. Here again, the communists have interfered in a shameless manner. For example, on 9 August 1944, the Central Committee of the Communist Party, sitting, uh, they issued a directive ordering the party's Tartar committees to proceed to a scientific revision to liquidate serious shortcomings of uh, individual writers and historians in dealing with the Tartar history. Tartar history was to be rewritten. Um, let us front the way to the Tartar history to rewrite the great Russian aggressions and to hide the facts of the real course of Tartar-Russian relations. And this is no isolated case. In every Muslim area within the USSR, historians on orders of the Communist Party have rewritten history to distort the facts so that the Russians appear always in good light. Needless to say, histories which present the facts uh, truthfully have been rewritten and destroyed so that the present and future generations of Muslims are for forever denied the chance of learning the true facts of their nation's past. The declassified CA doc document about Tartaria was declassified publicly in 1998, and I Gave you a link to that. According to Wikipedia, tar Tartary, in Latin it's Tartaria, T-A-R-T-A-R-I-A, or Great Tartarian, uh, Latin is Tartaria Manga, uh, Magna rather, M-A-G-N-A, was a historical region in Asia located between the Caspian Sea, the Ural Mountains, U-R-A-L, and the Pacific Ocean. Tartary was a blanket term used by Europeans for the areas of Central Asia, North Asia, and East Asia unknown to European geography. It encompassed the vast region of the Pontic, P-O-N-T-I-C, uh, hyphen Caspian, C-A-S-P-I-A-N, the steppes, S-T-E-P-P-E, the Volga, V-O-L-G-A, Urals Mountains, and the Caucasus Mountains, Siberia, Inner Asia, Mongolia, and Manchuria. Knowledge of Manchuria, Siberia, and Central Asia in Europe prior to the 18th century was limited. The entire area was known simply as Tartary and its inhabitants as Tartars. In the early modern period, an understanding of geography increased. Uh, Europeans began to subdivide Tartary into sections with prefixes denoting the names of the ruling powers or the geographic region. Thus, Siberia was Great Tartary, or Russia Tartary, the Crimean Khanate, which is K-H-A-N-A-T-E, was Little Tartary, Manchuria, Manchuria was Chinese Tartary, 
and Western Central Asia, prior to becoming Russia Central Asia, was known as independent Tartary. Wikipedia claims that Tartary was a blanket term and that not much knowledge was available to the Europeans. But in his this book, below, written by Giovanni da Pian del Carpine, that's G-I-O-V-A-N-N-I-D-A-P-I-A-N-D-E-L-C-A-R-P-I-N-E. It was written in 1252. We can find an extensive research made about the Tartars and their empire. And then it shows a picture of the cover of his book with a Tartarian warrior. The story of the Mongols, whom we call Tartars, uh, by Friar Giovanni, uh, is in PDF form, so they can read it from your site, Jeff. Uh, then I have maps that uh, I'm getting to you. I've got one out of, out of the, uh, uh, four, five, and six. And from a vast Tartaria, Grand Tartaria, and Grand Tartaria in the beginning, it later splits into, number one, Siberia and Russian Tartary, slash Tartaria Moscovite, and that's M-O-S-C-O-V-I-T-E. The second is Chinese Tartary slash Eastern Tartary. And the third is Independent Tartaria, which is the Western. We can see that the north of modern Russia, the Sea of Tartary, becomes the frozen ocean, the icy sea of modern Arctic Ocean. Okay, that's the end of part one. But it also shows below, let's check the time. Um, it's 127. Oh, I did very well. Okay. Um, all right. I can go on with this here. Uh, it shows a map of the Tartary Empire, and they showed a dragon with wings, and then a second flag of the Tartaries was also an owl. And if you notice on our $1 bill in the upper right-hand corner, you see an owl. Anyway, uh, the owl that's symbolic of, of the Luciferian system. Yes, it also represents knowledge or Covert knowledge. Well, knowledge okay. from the from the tree of knowledge, <laughs> not the tree of life, right? That's uh, that that's the whole idea of it. But you, you and I agree on that, absolutely. Onward. Okay. In a eighteen twenty four map, Tartaria, Chinese Tartaria, and China seem to coexist on the map. In eighteen fifty, Mongolia starts to appear where independent Tartary was before. China seems to be expanding and becoming an empire. In 1852, the Chinese empire consists of Mongolia, uh, China bordering with Tartary on the west, and the Russian empire on the north. Then, according to an 1875 map, independent Tartary is located east of the Caspian Sea, where modern Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan are. They belong to the larger area of Turkestan. Turkestan uh, is also spelled uh, T-U-R-K-I-S-T-A-N versus the original T-U-R-K-E-S-T-A-N for the Russians. And then Romanized as Turkestan, which is T-U-R-K-E-S-T-A with an uh, accent above it, N. It is known, translated as Land of the Turks. It is a historic region in Central Asia between Ural and Siberia to the north, the Gobi Desert to the east, Tibet, Kashmir, Afghanistan, and Iran to the south, and the Caspian Sea to the west. Turkestan includes present-day Kazakhstan, which is K-Z-A-H-S-T-A-N. Uh, it also includes 
Kyrgyzstan, which is K-Y-R-G-Y-Z-S-T-A-N, and Tajikistan, which is T-A-J-I-K-I-S-T-A-N, as well as Turkmenistan, which is T-U-R-K-M-E-N-I-S-T-A-N, and Uzbekistan, U-Z-B-E-K-I-S-T-A-N. The Tarim Basin of China, which is T-R-I-M, also known as East Turkestan, and parts of northern Afghanistan, known as Afghan Turkestan. So there's maps that they can see. And a highly decorative 1851 map of independent Tartary, which was done by John Tallis and John Rapkin, and that's T-A-L-L-I-S and R-A-P-K-I-N, covers the regions between the Caspian Sea and Lake Bakwash, which is B-A-K-Q-U-A-S-H, and between the Russia and Afghanistan region. These include the ancient Silk Route kingdoms of Kiva, which is K-H-I-V-A, Tartaria, which is T-R-T-A-R-I-A, Kokan, which is K-O-K-A-N-D, and Bokra, which is B-O-K-H-A-R-A. Today, the region roughly includes Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. This wonderful map offers a wealth of detail for anyone with an interest in the Central Asian portion of the ancient Silk Road that was between Europe and China. It identifies various uh, caravan routes, desert wells, and stopping points, including the cities of Bakara, which is B-O-K-H-A-R-A, and Samarka, S-A-M-A-R-K-N-D. So three vignettes by uh, W. Bragg, B-R-A-G-G, decorate the map, and these include an image of the Tartars on a journey, a horseback uh, bride chase, as well as a Tartar campsite surrounded by a, a Vin motif border. And those pictures are on the site. The famous Chinese wall separating China from Tartary Okay, that only became uh, evident in the 1700s, early 1700s. The third article is uh, Tartaria, the other side of the equation, and this is by the author, rather the uh, uh, alternative historian who I've communicated with and who I wish to get on your show in the future. Uh, He's Welsh, not British, and there's a big difference between Welsh and British. Uh, Welsh is was taken over by the British Empire, but it, Wales is a totally different language, a totally different culture, and they have never considered themselves British. Okay. And by, just, just, just a quick note, uh, if you do want to get one of these authors on, uh, or one of these people who you've done research from, uh, I would gladly entertain them on an alternative day. Like, for instance, I do a broadcast on here on Fridays, and that is not to take away your time slot with one of them. So I just want to put that out there. I'll give additional time to bring them on and not interfere with what you're doing. That's fine. We'll, we'll arrange that offline. Yep. You got it. And I appreciate that. Okay. Let's go forward. Tartaria and the Tartars is a new script currently being released and presented uh, to the alternative media platform. It appears the narrative has taken over the Russian mind as they move to convince the world that Russia is a source of all greatness. And you can see the picture that he presented there. Um, I have presented a report on some of the subject matter available, but within, this is his writing, but within this report, I will expand the idea of Tartaria as being the home 
of the ten tribes of Israel. This will catch you by surprise. But of course, nothing is simple when trying to uncover what has been hidden. So the question to be answered is, do we indeed have a great awakening at our fingertips? Or is this narrative just another ruse ruse, uh, to place Bolshevik Russia as the greatest thing since the invention of the wheel and that the West is nothing but a, a cesspit of evil? At this stage of the Tartaria research, it would be fair to claim that far from being a Russian enterprise, Tartaria is the remnants of the Christian era under the format brought by what is known as Jeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A. He enforced the law, which means he shifted the Kabbalist tree back into its correct order, and the matrix followed suit. It was with this shift that created the global architecture being laid at the feet at what is now the Bolshevik Russia and the rise of Eastern Orthodoxy, or Byzantium. Allow my good self to introduce you to a man named Giles Fletcher, F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R. He was the Queen's ambassador to the Russian Empress. As such, Giles was a man who perfectly positioned himself uh, to have been the source of the discourse on the Tartarian lands, being the home of the Ten Tribes of Israel. This insight occurred during the reign of Elizabeth I. Her reign was 1558 to 1603. The queen who formed a strong England with a big help from the House Palavici, which is the Italian one, one of the underlying 13, not the well-known 13 of the uh, Illuminati, and it's P-A-L-L-A-V-A-C-I-N-I, of the Holy See, the same financiers of the House Stanley, uh, who enthroned Henry VII, the grandfather to Elizabeth I, after the end of the War of the Roses, which was basically a Templar war of attack to remove the existent Viking, Saxon, Irish bloodlines from England. I contest that the Holy See, being of Jewish extraction, could not have achieved the financing of an opponent to Spain through the Catholic Mary Queen of Scots. To do so would out the real heads of power over Christendom, which, of course, are the Jewish financial houses that make up the Holy See. In Elizabeth, as a daughter of Henry VIII, the king who created the Church of England, yet still within the Roman canon law, Europe saw only a rebel house uh, building another military of the Holy See without any connection to the same, was an achievable aim under Elizabeth, from which building empire could expand without the endeavor being seen as another Roman impulse. In Elizabeth's 44-year reign, stability and sense of national identity was formed, uh, still religiously divided between Catholic and Protestant, with the Tartaria-slash-Israelite inclusion into the then-accomplished Academia of Wizardry. The stage was being set for the act of the 1600s, during which a new Bible would be translated, incorporating dog Latin and some 36,000 translations errors under the Scottish King James I, and a civil war that would destroy the monarchy with the murder of James's son, Charles I, thereby allowing for the reintroduction of Jewry and the money lenders under Oliver Cromwell and commissioning a central bank, quote, the Bank of England, under the puppet king and son of Charles I, that being Charles II. Those deeds done and a continuation of the magical works of Sir John Dee, who was pure evil, 
uh, Queen Elizabeth I, he was a spy master, moved forward to a man whom John Maynard Keyes said, Newton was not the first age of reason. He was the last of the magicians. We are, of course, speaking of Sir Isaac Newton, the sorcerer response for paving the way for the destruction of physics to be replaced by Kabbalist Demetria, opening the door for the Royal Society to become the new religion of gobbledygook called mathematics, which created a hierarchical priesthood outside both the Vatican and the Church of England's theology. Einstein would save this agenda again with his mathematical babble shifting science away from the explanations gained from the fundamentals of the physics of a thing to description of a thing by an equation. A new language was created, leaving everyone outside of the club and dependent on the wizards of numbers, which of course we all know to be the master race Kabbalist Jews. A disciple of Newton, William Whiston, and that's W-H-I-S-T-O-N, presented himself as a supporter of Arianism as opposed to the Roman Nicene Creed, and that Nicene is N-I-C-E-N-E. William Whiston, who was 1667 to 1752 uh, for his tenure, uh, the third Lucasian, L-U-C-A-S-I-A-N, professor of mathematics at Cambridge University, succeeded Isaac Newton. He entered Clare Hall, that's C-L-A-R-E, in 1686 as a Cesar, S-I-Z-A-R, and was elected a fellow in 1691. He became an M.A. and was ordered uh, ordained deacon in 1693. He used his Kabbalist geometry, today called scientific skill, to research, ponder, and draw conclusions in the world of religion. This means he was looking for ways to in invert doctrine to make it subordinate to the Talmud. His beliefs against the Trinitarianism, that's T-R-I-N-T-A-R-I-N-I-A-N-I-S-M, and his belief in primitive Christianity came from an extensive reading and thinking. Although he published his work mostly in Latin, enough was available in English to permit the authorities at Cambridge to conclude he was a heretic. Arianism is a non-Trinitarian Christological doctrine which asserts the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was begotten by God the Father at the point in time, a creature distinct from the Father, and is therefore subordinate to him, but the Son is also God, uh, i.e. God the Son. Arian and Tesis were first attributed to Arius, and that's A-R-I-U-S. He was A.D. 256 to 336, a Christian presbyter uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, basically, his ideas were formed in, to directly oppose the Nicene Creed from which already formed divisions could expand. Wiston presented his in his memoirs the discourse on the subject of Tartary uh, had by Giles Fletcher in a book called titled Memoirs of the Life of William Wiston, 1749, which was recovered from Sir Francis Nethersold and his N-E-T-H-E-R-S-O-L-E-S, -E -E uh, studied after his death. Giles Fletcher, as already stated, was an ambassador for Queen Elizabeth to Russia. As such, there's no reason to dispute the idea that such a body of information could be in his possession. Let us not forget we are speaking of the days just before the Civil War. Such information would have been a prize indeed in the move to drive the takeover of Christian England 
by the priesthood and armies of the temple. The discourse described how captured by the Assyrians under, this is a good name, uh, Shalmanesver, S-H-A-L-M-A-N-E-S-V-E-R, and he was 727 to 722 B.C. All ten tribes minus Judea, Judah, and Benjamin were held in captivity in Babylon and then sent by King Cyrus to Judea to rebuild the temples of Solomon uh, where carried to a far off land called Medea, M-E-D-I-A, and placed in many colonies of the Assyrians in that area. Eventually, the ten tribes would move ever northward to the lands where no one lived due to the disdain of the Medians, M-E-D-I-A-N-S, who attacked them always. We are speaking of Medea in the area around the Caspian Sea, with then moving over time into Siberia and Asia up to the Great Wall of China that was not in there in those days constructed. It was worth noting that the Mongols at this time lived in the far northeast of the great landmass of Siberia. This brings up a question, who were the Mongols? Because it is written that the power of the Mongols came into their expertise in bowmanship on horseback. Yet those called Tartars are depicted as expert in bow on foot and horseback. Thus opening another question, if the ten tribes had formed a nation under the doctrine of the Gospels, then Genghis Khan, as a red-haired Christian leader, was more more likely not a Mongol at all. If it is the case that Khan was of the ten tribes, we can better understand why Western and Eastern Christendom formed in the empire, shot itself, and moved to destroy it. The invasion of the Mancus, and that's M-A-N-C-H-U-S, or Eastern Tartars, as the Jesuits called them at that time, uh, and consolidation of the Qing dynasty, which is Q-I-N-G, was from 1644, was well covered by Jesuit-eyed witnesses who wrote accounts of these events, which are also histories of the activities and experiences of the missionaries themselves in those troubled times. They have been largely neglected by the general historians of China for the obvious reason that they are in Latin. The Tartars are clearly a military force. And then it shows several pictures. Um, It is said that King Cyrus, some 240 years after the Israelite uh, deportation to Medea, did invade the Tartar lands, who, it is said, had become a great and mighty people, had regrouped once again as one nation, that they defeated Cyrus, which destroys the current narrative offered up by the rabbis, that they are the Israelites moving to reunite the lost tribes in Israel, in the fake Israel. King Cyrus freed the Jews from Babylon and sent them into Judea to rebuild the temple. He did not free the Israelites. He sought to recapture them. The ten tribes lived as one nation, but did not interbreed to keep the tribe's individual identities. This also kept their aggressor or kindred or ancestor realms intact. The Tartars also performed the ritual of circumvention, circumcision, as do the Jews, which they would have suffered in captivity as the slaves of the pharaohs of Egypt. If it is the case that the ten tribes did form under the Gospels, then they would have ceased in the ritual of circumcision, suggesting that the Scythian mass movements did indeed form the backdrop to uh, white Western Christian peoples who do not ritually circumcise their offspring. King Aratxes, which is A-R-T-A-X-E-R-X-E-S, 
I have completed the Syrian war, Cyprian war, led an army of 300,000 on foot and 10,000 horseback to attack what is said to be the two of the tribes who are known as the holy people. This event is attested by the Plutarch, but such a huge army would suggest he was bent on reclaiming the entire ten tribes, perhaps looking to retrieve the once slaves of his ancestors. Our texts, uh, I placed the Egyptian god Amun-Min in front of his cartouche on his tomb, also known as Amun-Ra. In this character, Amun-Ra became the chief of the Egyptian pantheon in the 21st century B.C., and the point at which monotheism began to take form, with all other gods being manifestations of him, not unlike the Greek Zeus or an Olympus. Erexius was clearly uh, presenting his ancestral connection to Egypt and the bloodlines of the pharaohs, which offers insight as to who controlled the Persians. Then you have uh, Akhenaten would then be classed as a heretic, for mimicking the original monotheism of Egypt as Amun-Ra, where before it was, he changed his name uh, to, uh, um, anyway, Amun-Ra. Uh, in describing the ten tribes settled in Scythia and Siberia, he described them as a savage peoples for who forged all diplomatic and trade relations amongst themselves. They do not open trade with the outside world. He dissects each horde in accordance to his own observations as to the degree of savagery and civilry. Generally, the tribes nearest the border remained savage and cruel, which would require to keep uh, outside uh, the invaders out. But one or two, uh, he claims to be a gentle nature, which he could well be the tribes who are known as the Hyperboreans who settled in the northwest, bridging Siberia with Scandinavia. That is true. We do not know that the griffin was the emblem of the Hyperborean Apollo, which opens up the Britain as Atlantis idea, but that train of thought of the Hyperboreans were always and already in place when the ten tribes pushed into Siberia. In doing so, Giles Fletcher's in his work parallels the same label thrown against the Hiskos, and that's H-Y-K-S-O-S, also said to have been the Israelites who invaded Egypt in two incursions the first wave around 2500 B.C., and are said to have assimilated with the Egyptians, which, according to biblical doctrine, makes sense in the fact that the tribes were ordered to assimilate by their god, the second wave, in 1720 B.C., uh, were called a savage race. From the first incursion was formed, the imperial court of the royal dragon and order by the priests of Mendes, and ordered the Templars claim as their own. Thus we can deduce that the first wave was a priesthood and the second wave was a warrior class. We can shift the information into a completely different narrative from the book Britain, the Key to World History. In this book, Abraham, or Abram, which is A-B-R-A-M, is presented as being the secretary of Saturn, giving him the firearms in the days where they were not widely available. From this advantage, did he invade nations, including Egypt? This would synchronize with the Hiskos if you consider that the accepted chronology has been deliberately altered, which it has. Upon such observations, we can parallel this with the method employed in Britain, first uh, with the Jewish and not Israelite priestcraft of the Holy See, and that's S-E-E, enter under 
Dunstan, which is D-U-N-S-T-A-N, which is scuppering the works of the Saxon Ofa, which is O-F-F-A, and Alfred, A-F-R-E-D. Then in 1066, Jewish finance invasion of England came a fearsome warrior class, the Normans destroying all that could prevent the insulation of the new bloodlines and their priesthood craft uh, could then take root after the slaughter of the North. That achieved secured the game, it would appear, but then it took a turn for the worse with the expulsion of Edward I of the Jews, this going on as the Templars were invited to Scotland by Robert the Bruce, which is correct. As a direct result, the work of the Templars and the Wigamores, and that's W-H-I-G-G-A-M-O-R-E-S, a king who would be murdered, allowing for the return of the Jews in the 17th century under Oliver Cromwell, a man who operated for the Shepardic elites and financed from the Netherlands or Holland. The next wave of the warrior class can be said to be the insulation of the Hanoverian kings leading to war after war, subjugation after subjugation, and on to two world wars and the introduction into Britain of their branch of warrior slaves, the Mohammedans. William Whiston, as a pupil of the magician Sir Isaac Newton, was a big supporter of the return of the Jews. I would also suggest his reason for including the work of Giles Fletcher would be to secure an open door to the outpouring of the remnants of the Tartar warrior tribes across Europe and into England to undermine Christendom to support the Hanoverian script. This would explain how the Russian old guard came to be the controllers of the pogroms, and that's P-O-G-R-O-M-S, filled with the Tartarians, and yet, uh, for the clever bit, it is claimed by history to have been the Jews in the pogroms. That makes no sense when to the east of Russia was the Tartarians who had been captured in the war to the complete destruction of the entire ten tribes from the Middle Ages, said to have been completed by 1733. In these pogroms would be collected all the prisoners of the wars who would promptly turn into the favored title of the financiers as indentured servants. That would be launched across the Americas and Europe by the old guard as the financiers gained hold of Western nations with the sole intent of setting up the banking corporate networks of commerce. From 1888 until the Act of Parliament in 1915, these slaves poured into England and became the Masonic Lodges, not forgetting the fact that from 1914 to 1918, Britain lost all its men in World War One. Ergo, Post-World War I became a breeding ground for the Khazar, and that's K-H-A-Z-A-R, with the remaining British women. Let us also not forget Stalin fought against Germany with an eastern horde they called the Mongols, yet it makes much more sense to accept that uh, that due to the Bolshevik slaughter of the Russian stock from 1917, Soviet Russia was in fact the cover for the genocide of the majority of the Russian people, allowing the remains of Tartar slaves, full and complete resettlement of Russia as servants to the old guard. And after the Second War, World War, to expand that territory into the heart of Europe, pulling down an iron curtain across a huge part of Europe to facilities the subversion of Europe, Britain, and into the Americas by the slave race to the elite pharaonic bloodlines of Egypt. The United States financed the Russian Revolution from 1923 until 1989. As to the question of slavery, and rather savagery, do not forget that Stalin's horde 
raped to death over 1.5 million German girls and women after the war was won. Germany was demolished. This is what they are setting up in Europe, Britain, and America, and throughout the Commonwealth. If we are to recognize the validity of this information, we can better understand two points. The program in Russia were the concentration camps for the Tartars or Israelites to be disposed of by the priesthood under Jewish rule, that being Judah and Benjamin, the two evil tribes, on behalf of the pharaonic, uh, pharaonic bloodlines. That the term Khazar is a cover. I've also raised questions with this essay. Was the coming together of the Templars and other knightly orders in the crusade the point at which an army great enough was formed to go after Tartaria? As a Jewish-led and financed operation, was this the only way the two tribes they could call themselves Jew could subvert the tribes they held a hatred from the days when they were shunned by the ten? These are the two tribes that were shunned that I mentioned to you. Uh, Judea, uh, rather Judah, not Judea, Judah and Benjamin. Okay, that is finished with that article. How much time do I have? Uh, I have, uh, it's five minutes till two. Yeah, okay, so we, could pick so we have, uh, we have I, I know there's a lot of, uh, of questions in the audience, or you could do another essay. I'll leave it up to you. But there are definitely lots of questions that are coming up in the chat, Chris. Okay, I'll read part of, uh, for 15 minutes, I'll read, and we've got, it's like five till, you, you let me know when it's, uh, um, 2.15, okay? Alright. Part two, I read part one of part, of, this is the mystery of an empire, uh, lost in history. So, these have got maps that the, your public will see. Um, it goes on to state, um, a picture of the underside of the ancient steel mirror was found in a certain grave near uh, Vergaturia, which is V-E-R-G-A-T-U-R-I-A, in Siberia. This emblem is incredible when they see what, what is posted. It's a circular disc that has uh, three circle rings. It has like a type of almost like hieroglyphic, symbolic language around the outside. Then it has an eight-point uh, inner star and then a circle in the center, and then it has... 12 circles around a circular button in the center. Okay. So, uh, at this point, I'd like to describe uh, the introduction of Gary Hogg's book with Peter Fleming in the, in, in the Tartaria. It describes in great poetic detail the vast steppes of Asia and the Silk Roads, which ran through the lands that we're talking about now. 2,500 years ago, Chinese merchants were dispatched their great caravans loaded with silk, porcelain, jade, and lacquer, and other rare products of their genius and industry westward, um, ever westward from the Orient. At a length, they reached Europe to excite the wonder and desire of the people who had never dreamed of such wares could exist. These were stupendous overland journeys covering thousands upon thousands of miles and lasting sometimes for years between start to finish. There were no roads until the pioneer caravans had worked their arduous way westward. There were not even tracks. Uh, there were windswept plateaus. There was endless desert. There were ancient dry riverbeds. There were great mountain ranges. There were sand dunes growing a thick, tough camel's uh, scrub. And there were naked rocks split and fractured by the cruel heat of the burning sun and the intense cold of the frost and blizzard. But there were no roans or signposts, nothing to show 
that anyone had ever passed this way before, except the skeletons of animals that had collapsed and been abandoned in the desert or mountain pass to die, and the skeletons, too, of the drivers who, in spite of their toughness and great powers of endurance, had died of exhaustion, exposure, or thirst. No man, when he set westward from his home in the kinder eastern part of China, could be certain that he would ever see his home and loved ones again. That dauntless traveler, Peter Fleming, set out on one of his journeys from Peking in eastern China to Srinagar, which is S-R-I-N-A-G-A-R, in northern India. A tough journey of more than 3,500 miles, most of them across the ancient route of the first Chinese caravans. He had never reached uh, and traveled more courageously and more resourcefully, nor written about his travels more splendidly than he did on this great journey. And about this, he wrote this book, News from Tartary. You will not find the name Tartary in your atlas unless it is a very, very old, out-of-date one. For the name died out a century ago, giving place to Mongolia, especially Inner Mongolia, and especially to that portion of Inner Mongolia today known as Sinkang, which is S-I-N-K-I-A-N-G, or Chinese Turkestan. Peter Fleming, of course, knew as well as anyone that the name Tartary is not on modern maps, but he chose to use it in his title. Though geographers and ethnographers refer to the nomadic peoples through the whole entire territory he passed as Mongols, their ancestors were the Tartars, the men who owed allegiance for the first to the great and ruthless Genghis Khan and to later to his grandson Kublai. And Kublai is spelled K-U-B-L-A-I. Their rule covered the whole western region that extended between the Sea of Japan and the river Dnieper, which is D-N-I-E-P-E-R. They were both horsemen and grouped together in great bands, swift, unpredictable, and cruel. Their home was the Great Mongolian Plateau, a chain of plateau interrupted here and there by near-impassable mountain pass ranges. It was then and remained still a vast, empty, desolate region, almost entirely void of trees, blistered in summer by an unbearable hot sun and made equally unbearable in winter by an incessant ice-cold winds that swept over it. Such changes of climate made it necessary for the inhabitants of the plateau to be constantly on the move in search of pastures for their flocks and herds and in search of two for sufficient water. The hard life made them into very hard men. To exist at all, they had to fight, plunder, ravage, and destroy. They gained a reputation for brutality, for destructiveness. That created terror where wherever rumors of their movements penetrated. <clears throat> Across the great sweep of plateau and desert, where they raided at some of the caravan routes passed, and the men of those caravans knew well that if the hordes of the Tartars ascended upon them, they would be wiped out to every man. It was Genghis Khan who knit together the scattered communities of the Tartars and shaped them into an all-conquering force, and he did it in a curious manner. Genghis Khan, it meant simply, great and perfect warrior. Genghis Khan soon established his Tartar empire in the north, and then he turned south and west, and little by little conquered the whole of Asia between Lake Balkash, which I spelled B-A-L-K-S-H, in the west, and Tibet in the south. He conquered the, all the territories of the Indus, which is India, and the Persian Gulf, uh, Georgia, the Caspian Sea, and where he died, his empire stretched from Korea to Bulgaria. No man and no mean record for a life of 60-odd years. 
It is through this vast stretch of inhospitable, dangerous country that the so-called Silk Road ran. The Silk Road, so named because of it, came to the most important of the desert and mountain routes along which the Chinese silk caravans passed. Is Tartary mentioned in the history of Russia and Mongolia? Well, we'll take a look into some other civilizations to see if they are related to the Tartarians and if they have taken part in the Tartarian history in some way. We'll look into the history of the ancient Russian Tsars, that's T-S-A-R-S, Mongol Empire, and Genghis Khan. The Mongol Empire. The Mongol Empire stretched from present-day Poland and Ukraine in the, uh, in the west to Korea in the east, and from parts of Siberia in the north to the Gulf of Oman and Vietnam in the south, covering some 33 million square kilometers, equates to 13 million square miles, 22% of the Earth's total land area, and had a population of over 100 million people, about a quarter of the uh, Earth's total population at that time. A Kanganite, which is a K-H-A-G-A-N-A-T-E, or Kanite, K-H-A-N-A-T-E, was a political entity ruled by a Khan, which is K-H-A-N, Kangan, which is K-H-A-G-N, or Kantun, which is K-H-A-T-U-N, or a <laughs> fourth, uh, Kanum, which is K-H-A-N-U-M. This political entity isn't typical for the people of the Eurasia steppe, and it can be equivalent to tribal chiefdom, principality, kingdom, or empire. After Genghis Khan established uh, appendages for his family in the Mongol Empire during his rule of 1206 to 1227 A.D., his sons, daughters, and grandsons inherited separate sections of this empire. And the public will see the map of the of these uh, history of the empire and the Mongol Empire itself of the Tartars. The map of Crimea Khanate by Peter van der Ah in 1707. Um, the Crimea Khanate owns name the Great Horde in old European history and geography. The little Tartaria, Latinist Tartaria Minor, it was a Crimea Tartar state existing from 1441 to 1783. The longest live of the Turkic, which is T-U-R-K-I-C, Khanates, that succeeded the Empire of the Golden Horde. Established in 1441, was regarded as a direct heir to the Golden Horde. Uh, the other one is unpronounceable because it's, it's their language. Anyway, in 1783, violating the 1744, 1774 Treaty of Kuksuk, which is K-U-C-U-K, and it's Kynarcia, which is K-Y-N-A-R-C-I-A, which had guaranteed non-interference of both Russia and the Ottoman Empire in the affairs of the Crimean Khanate, the Russian Empire annexed the Khanate. Among the European powers, it was only France that came out with an open protest against this act. And then it shows the empire itself. So, um, what time is it now? It's 2.04, I got 10 minutes, okay. Um, Tartar and the neighbors in the 13th century, they see the maps. Tartar was one of the five major tribal configurations, which is called a Khanlig, K-H-A-N-L-I-G, in the Mongolian plateau in the 12th century A.D. The name Tartar was first translated in Book of Song as other names as for the Ruans, and that's R-O-U-R-A-N-S, who were of the proto-Mongolic Dongu, which is D-O-N-H-U, uh, ancestry, and also of the Songu, that's S-O-N-G-S-H-U, and the Liangshu, 
which is L-I-N-G-S-H-U, connected to the Rorians, to the earlier <laughs> Zionu, which is Z-X-I-O-N-G-N-U. Anyway, the point is, um, it shows how they were all interconnected, and when they see the maps, they will see the different aspects I just mentioned of this Mongolian Empire in 1207 AD. And so the first precise translation of the Tartar eth- ethnom, uh, <laughs> E-T-H-N-O-N-Y-M, ethnom, was on the Orkhon, O-R-K-H-O-N inscriptions, referring to the Tartar Confederation. Subsequently, the wider region was referred to by Europeans as either Tartary or Tartaria. And the Tartars, uh, ancestors inhabited the northeastern, uh, Gobi region in the fifth century and joined the Rurin Cagnet. The scholar Ma- <laughs> Mahmud al-Kashgari, which is M-A-H-M-U-D, second word A-L hyphen K-S-H-G-A-R-I, note that the Tartars are bilingual, speaking Turkic, T-U-R-K-I-K, along with their own language. The Tartars were subordinated and sub, or subjugated by Mongol leader Temujin, which is T-E-M-U-J-I-N, who subsequently, uh, as Genghis Khan, founded the Mongol Empire. Under the leadership of his grandson, Batu Khan, and that's B-A-T-U Khan, Tartars accomplished and accompanied the Mongols westward, driving them with many of the Turkic peoples toward the plains of Russia and the Turkic migrations. The name Tartar was used by Russians and Europeans to denote Mongols as well as Turkic peoples under the Mongol rule, especially in the Golden Horde. Later, it was used for any Turkic or Mongolic-speaking people encountered by Russians. Eventually, however, the name stuck on the Turkic Muslims of Ukraine and Russia, namely the descendants of the Muslim Volga Bulgars. So it's two. It's V-O-L-G-A and B-U-L-G-A-R-S. And that's so these are both a, a region and name of the peoples. And then also the Kipshets, which are another tribe, K-I-P-C-H-A-K-S, and the Kumans, which are C-U-M-A-N-S, another tribe, and uh, the Turkicized Mongols or Turco-Mongols, which is, they have another name, which is N-O-G-A-I-S, Nogas, as well as the other Turkish-speaking Siberian Tartars, Kwasim, which is Q U. A-S-I-M Tartars and the Mishar, M-I-S-H-A-R Tartars. So there are multiple groups. When they, the public sees a map, Jeff, they will understand these uh, names we're absolutely unfamiliar with and realize there are regions and the people are named after these regions. Okay. And vowels in 1918, in those days. <laughs> There's a lot of consonants in these names. That's right. That's why the Welsh language, which you probably aren't aware, is typically... The majority is consonants. It's something I'd never really considered, never really looked at the Welsh language, but very interesting. Oh, Chris, you've muted your mic. Well, that'll give me a break to talk for just a moment. Listen, if you're just joining and he keeps talking about the pictures the files are really big. We have to put them on to writeonyou.com, and it's a good way to support the military analyst. Um, yeah, he, he has disappeared. I'm hoping he comes back in in just a moment. Uh, but I want to tell you something. Uh, 
Chris is a whistleblower. I have a little bit of uh, insight into his personal situation. He lives very humbly, and what happens is the deep state, you know, although he served for many years in the military and everything else, uh, they cut off pensions. They really put the, the they, they shaft you as a whistleblower. And, uh, you know, we support several whistleblowers through Right On Radio and Illuminate the Darkness on, on Jesse's side. Uh, and you guys actually supporting uh, the military analyst. Uh, he doesn't know the amount of the check, but, and look, we're only, it's $17. Some people are doing the $3 a month thing. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's going to make a difference okay. at the end of the month. Chris, welcome back. Uh, okay. Sorry, what happened was uh, Siri activated, not by me, but if it catches somewhere, it'll just intercede. And uh, the last point I was going to read on this page was that uh, uh, basically was Max Egan, the history and uh, history and Tartaria. And we will let them read that online. It's now 210. We'll let the questions go. Now. Right. Go ahead, and just uh, just before we do the questions, and I'm going to open up the phones so you can call in if you have a question. Of course, if you're a super fan, you get on air for sure. Um, you know, or you know, if you've uh, been giving gifts or super chats, that's always good. Uh, listen, just a couple quick show announcements, uh, real quick. Uh, tomorrow we are doing a show as well, even though Jesse's on holidays. And I have an amazing person coming on as my co-host. It's not a name most of you are familiar with, but I can tell you she is in the fight. She is a patriot. Uh, she is someone who became a friend of mine through Right On Radio for about a year now. And, uh, and you're going to really love what she brings to the table. Guaranteed. You're going to love, you're going to love her. Uh, so that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, we got a, a couple other things, uh, as you notice, if you follow our Intel shows, which are Tuesdays and Thursdays, those do not stay up on YouTube. Of course, everything is always on Podbean. Every show we do is on Podbean. Uh, but if you uh, go into the description boxes of any of our shows, you can find that we actually have two backup channels on Odyssey. The one is called Right on Radio. That was our backup of our original YouTube channel before it got taken down. Then we have one called Right on Radio Channel 2, which is the exact same name of the YouTube channel that it is now. So that's all your uh, current stuff. But we also, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we actually stream live to Rumble now as well. So when the show goes down off of YouTube, uh, you can find it on Rumble. They're always up there. They're staying up there. Uh, however, if you prefer that platform, you can actually watch them live from there at the same time. Uh, all right. So do we have any questions? And I have one just while we're waiting for a call to come in, Chris, because we talked a lot about uh, Russia. We talked about uh, uh, Crimea. What, with your military background and uh, and understanding of the world and the things that are going on, man, I love that lit graphic. Thank you so much, Katie. Uh, what do you think of the current situation in uh, in Ukraine and the propaganda that's coming out? What's your take on it, Chris? Well, I can tell you, I have uh, one of my military colleagues is a Ukrainian uh, uh, friend and uh, former military. 
and he meets with me at least two or three times a week on his way home from work. And basically it's, this is a, an artificial war, as you should be aware of, that this is, um, you have a couple factors. Putin, uh, basically he's, he's Russian Christian Orthodox. However, uh, Ukrainian has, is Ukrainian Orthodox. And he, number one, this is not a primary, but it's, it adds to the list. Uh, he feels that they deviated from the Christian uh, belief system as far as what was originally ordained under the uh, Russian Orthodox. Okay. Uh, that's number one. Number two is that in the early 1960s, uh, if you remember who uh, uh, Brezhnev was, that uh, uh, Nikita Brezhnev, he basically gave to uh, Ukraine Crimea. He literally willed it over to him. And then in uh, 19, uh, 2014, Putin attacked uh, Crimea. People forget very fast, but this was only seven years ago. Remember, we deal with seven-year cycles. And um, he took back Ukraine. He took back Crimea. And so in retaliation, since they were given it to by a former uh, Soviet uh, premier, uh, they built a dam and they literally barricaded the water from Crimea. It was turning into like a desert. It had no water, direct water source. So uh, the first thing Putin did was blow up the dam, okay, which released the water flow. And in retaliation, the uh, Ukrainian military, uh, they uh, destroyed their runway so that the Russian planes couldn't land on it. And then they destroyed... They blew up all their bridges so that they could not bring their tanks over it. So the only thing they left was the railway and only certain ones so that the refugees could get out. So this is, this is a, this is going to hit us real hard because we get somewhere about 500,000 barrels of oil from Russia, you know, on a weekly basis. Okay. Each day, 500,000 is what they're saying. Okay. Well, yeah, I can never trust the media, no, but I'm saying it. I, I take it as a great example. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, the Crimea, ha- uh, rather, uh, Ukraine has uh, 54 million people, okay? And he grew up uh, in uh, about uh, 30 kilometers from uh, um, what is called uh, their capital. And they we pronounce it in English, Kiev. They pronounce it Kiev, which is K-Y-I-V. IV, okay, whereas ours is KIEV, and his entire village has been destroyed completely where he grew up, and this is collateral damage. It had, was not a target. Uh, what Putin was also going after is that the United States, our evil government and military, have used Ukraine as like the second uh, Al- Al- Albania, okay, and what they've done is They've uh, done uh, child sex trafficking, and they've also done um, uh, biochemical weapons uh, facilities throughout Ukraine, not in a region, throughout the country. And so what uh, Putin has been doing is he's been blowing up uh, these biochem factories, okay, and um, and then also raiding for, uh, 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 what do you call it, um, uh, child sex trafficking. However... There is so much collateral damage right now. If you understand just from just general military uh, tactics is that basically with artillery rounds and missiles, they are not perfect hits. 
they are based upon uh, many factors, wind, temperature, uh, elevation, etc. So they're approximates. And they, you can see from any of the pictures on the media today, uh, they've made a lot of screw-ups. They've hit an entire section of, of uh, near uh, Kiev, which is like, was apartment buildings. And all those people have been blown to pieces. They're dead. I'd say, you know, tens of thousands, multiple thousands at least. Um, that was not a factory, what they hit. And this is just the random uh, shelling that they're doing. So that's basically what's going on is that uh, this is also going to affect us deeply. This is going to, this is the prelude to World War III. And that all, everything that's happening there is, has a domino effect on us and Western Europe. Uh, they're stating now that 1.5 uh, million as of two days ago is now 2.1 million uh, refugees and they're uh, a lot are being replaced into Poland right now. So uh, I wish for the best for them, but uh, my, my friend Alex is absolutely devastated because his, his wife's uh, hometown, which is about five kilometers from him, uh, it, it has been severely damaged, but not completely destroyed. But his doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Well, what, what I'm and this is all about working time. What, what I'm hearing from people that live in Ukraine that get videos out and stuff like that is that it's actually the Ukrainian Nazi army, the Azrovs, that are attacking. Uh, and it's not as much the Russians doing it. Uh, and, yeah, the biolabs and all that uh, it seems to be coming to surface. And, and actually there's legitimacy behind that reporting. But what what I find very interesting is, so, you know, obviously this two-year period of the Rona has just ended, and all of a sudden, like, exact timing. This ends, this, the other thing starts. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is part of the Great Reset. This is about you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh, if you think they did a lot of damage to small business during the time of the last two years of the Rona, Wait till you see what this does with the costs and shortages and everything else that are coming. And as far as what uh, what Joey B is doing, he's not trying to hurt Putin. He's all about destroying the United States, and that and it's been it's infiltration from within. It literally is a captured operation right now. Now, how much authority he has and stuff like that, the failing corporation and stuff. Look. Who knows? Um, there's all kinds of stuff on that, and everyone has an opinion, and no one really knows everything that's going on. But I could tell you globally this is part of the whole World Economic Forum agenda. Absolutely. And we're going to see gasoline prices escalate, utility prices skyrocket, and that uh, the housing market nationwide is ballistic in florida there are 1000 people per day coming to florida and in my counties in collier and lee county 1200 a week to 1300 this state is growing beyond its capacity and they're building they're they're running out of room and where to build it was never meant to hold this many people so it's this is the state of affairs of what's going on and prices are skyrocketing for homes here uh, my house is, is uh, practically double what I paid for it. So anyway. So, Chris, I guess, um, you know, one of the most pressing questions, and, and I can't think of a better person to 
ask than yourself, uh, what should the average person, and it, and it could be anywhere in the world because this is a worldwide thing that it's going to be affecting, uh, what should they do to prepare? Obviously, we, we give out your bug out bag information. It's like a 47 page document that's free on right on you. Uh, you can go download it today. Uh, but in addition to what's on that, uh, is, is there strategic locations that people could go to in the United States or Canada or uh, other places around the world? What say you? Well, if I was healthy and had my plans, I would be in Argentina uh, a couple years ago. And the Western Argentina and Western Brazil are the safest locations on Earth, uh, in my opinion. I've checked all around. I'm very knowledgeable in geography and also cultures. So uh, what can they do stateside? Well, they're going to, we're at the point of almost martial law. That should be implemented by, I would say, May. Which means, and that's going to be a total loss. Everything. Everything. Well, we live in a, literally, a militarized police state now, and it's a Marxist fascist government. It's not a, it's not a republic, and it's certainly not a democratic one. And the best things for people to do is, number one, they need to start boiling their water. All your water, they're poisoning our water systems. And if you need to start boiling your water today, completely, for all your drinking and cooking needs. That's, that's primary. Uh, secondly is, is get, uh, a, a lot of, uh, uh, correct vitamins. And Jenny Silcox on, uh, on David Zubik's show, she has already uh, stated which ones, because they're going to, uh, be infiltrating our food source, uh, they already have, and as well as our, the air we breathe. So we're basically their objective is to wipe out humanity because they believe they're the elite. We outnumber them one million to one, but they have the technology and they have the, uh, the means in which to manipulate everything in mankind for the food source. And uh, it's just inconceivable of what they're doing and, and how they've gotten away with it this far. But by the way, I would say and stuff like that. Here's another reason to go to mylibertystand.com because this is a family owned business. They manufacture, they grow, they take care of all their own ingredients. Um, go to mylibertystand.com, buy American, protect American jobs and, uh, and have, get rid of all the unhealthy ingredients. Uh, that's very, very important. So mylibertystand.com and Welcome to the show. We have a caller, Chris, and it is none other than the great Debbie in Italy. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> I'm, Hi, Chris. Wow, uh, Debbie, wow, wow, wow. I was, I was just on I got, by, by European uh, podcast. I should have a total of four very soon. I got picked up by the Netherlands where I grew up. In well, I'm actually in Florida. I'm not in Italy. So my question is about the water. We put on a saltwater system in our house and then a reverse osmosis at the sink. Is that safe enough going through a salt, you know, and then a reverse osmosis? Or are you saying I still need to boil it? Well, my friend uh, Ray in town, uh, he has a well system and he lives in in the estates in uh, Collier County. He's not f that far from me. He did a reverse osmosis, and that was not a, an inexpensive project. Uh, that's about a $6,000 investment for the process, what he did at that time. And I 
I'm still questioning, is that, is that better than just take, I know they're poisoned the water, and I don't know how deep your well is, but that's another major factor. No, no, we don't have a well. We're on city, but I put in a saltwater system and then also an RO at the sink. That's what we drink and we cook with the RO water, but then to shower and bathe and do dishes, we use the, uh, it's a saltwater softener system whatever for the for the whole house understood debbie um in my my professional opinion military background i would boil your water because they're poisoning it and certain poison chemicals you cannot you cannot kill off because they're going to be using a combination of both bacteria and chemicals so i wonder if that's why i'm nauseous all the time say again i couldn't hear that I wonder if that's why I've been nauseous all the time, even I though I drink RO water. That's correct. Uh, I, I honestly believe that is correct in my professional opinion. So are you – what about, like, that silver stuff you put in water? Or is uh, just boiling it safe? Silver nitrate? Um, yeah. I'd have to check on that and talk to one of my uh, biochemical friends. Because I can't imagine boiling it is going to even be enough. Something needs to be neutralizing the chemicals. Debbie, if I could, well, I have, here, I, I have a suggestion for you, and it's what I do yeah. in my house. I have a machine that's made by Volara. That's V-O-L-L-A-R-A, and it's called Living Water, and it reconstitutes the water, it remolecularizes it, and uh, increases the pH level. And I'll tell you just from personal experience, like my wife, you know, my wife, uh, before I met her, she was on her deathbed. She was in the hospital for six months. So she was very susceptible to things and she was getting sick often. Uh, when we first got married, like, you know, probably 10, 12 times a year, she was getting sick. We put in this machine. She's rarely sick now. Okay, I'll check it out. I think that's what our system is supposed to do with this osmosis thing. It's a it's a whole system that fills up the whole underneath the sink thing. But I'll I'll get it yeah, checked. No, that's to, an important question with the water. The farmhouse, but uh, no, th this is this is different. I'm pretty confident. Um, and okay. but uh, it's worth looking into. Look, they're not they're not cheap. I'm going to tell you that. But uh, it's kind of a lifetime investment that we did about ten years ago. And, yeah. And, and listen, for what it's worth, I you know I don't really sell them. It's not my business, but I can get you a discount on them. Okay. All right. Can you can you uh, get in touch with me? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you a you know offline with the uh, with the website and stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sounds, sounds good. good. Just Chris, you have no you have no idea, Chris the confirmation of the information a little while back god told me and i am not a history buff not at all like a c and a d student in history but god told me look at ancient history from 1400 to 1800 and that's why i asked you about tartaria because i heard a, a one-hour thing on it had never heard about it before but the things that you told me today 
confirmed about the things that God has been telling me because he said in that time period is where you'll find the truth and the real truth about the Bible even. Correct. So I think we're on the right track. So thank you. I sent well, I sent you a beer and a birthday cake. So don't go together. So eat one and drink the next. How about that? <laughs> Thank you very much, Debbie. But I, I will just uh, state my position because uh, I feel the obligation of my show. Uh, I do believe the 66 books of the Bible are the inspired word of God. If God can create the heavens and the earth, he can keep a book together. And uh, although the enemy has tried to manipulate it and stuff like that. I do ultimately believe that God uh, has uh, has triumphed over it just as he has victory in the end. But thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate you, brother. I really do. And I know our audience just loves you. So thank you, everyone. I have to run as I have a meeting immediately following this show. But God bless you, each and every one of you. And remember, go to mylibertystand.com and Don't forget, love your God, love your neighbor as yourself, and make a difference in your community. Signing off, over and out.